You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Ah, yes, it is that time of the week once again. Welcome inside the Hot Stove Report. Aaron Goldsmith alongside Gary Hill. Glad you're with us for the next two hours talking all things Mariners baseball. Gary, Happy New Year to you, my friend. How are things? I'm doing well. How are you? It's great to see you. It's great to see you. It's great to be back on the air with you for the first time in 2021. And as we have each and every week, man, we got a jam-packed, loaded show. Tell us who all we'll be talking to tonight. I am really excited about this show. We have Kyle Glazer coming up from Baseball America. He's fabulous. And as we know, the Mariners are on the cover of the Prospect Handbook, and Kyle Glazer is going to tell us about that. He's going to talk about the system. Great conversation there. Anthony Masevich, who was in the Mariners' bullpen a year ago, we're going to talk to him. I think fans are really going to enjoy that. That's coming up in a few minutes. And Emmanuel Sofuentes, one of our favorites, just got a promotion. We're going to talk to him. And Mandy Lincoln's going to give us a preview of some big things coming up uh, the next couple of weeks in Mariners' world. So big show. Big, big, big show. Yeah, we're going to really focus a lot on, on the minor league side of things with Kyle Glazer. You, you mentioned Emmanuel. Uh, now the assistant director of uh, Mariners player development, working alongside Andy McKay. So we'll talk a lot about the youth. We'll talk a lot about what's going on in the big leagues itself, as we will dive into that right now with our first guest. And who better to lead the show off tonight than number seven, the lefty. And for the third straight year, he will be the Mariners opening day starter. Marco Gonzalez joins us right out of the gates on the hot stove. Marco, happy new year. How are you, my friend? Yeah, it's good to see you guys as well. It's been uh it's been too long. It feels like this uh, this twilight zone we're living in is like shaping time in a weird way. So it's good to uh, it's good to be back with some familiar faces, some familiar voices. And uh, yeah, how are you guys doing? Well, well, we I think the first thing we noticed is that you have um, not groomed at all since the end of the season. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> That's not true. Just just you know just trying to uh, you know let the hair go out a little bit. Uh, you know. Let the COVID flow, uh, you know, just let it happen. Gary, which, what do you think became a bigger storyline for Marco, the final, let's call it month of the season? Him not walking anyone or his hair? Because his hair became its own subject matter. Yeah, those were dual storylines. And uh, I was disappointed that Marco didn't petition MLB to pitch without a cap. <laughs> yeah. Gary, I knew, that I, I knew that we were friends. And, uh, you know, now that... Now that me and Goldie have moved on, uh, you know, I think that me and you can start a new, a new, better friendship here. Uh, and, and, I, and I appreciate that. I, I feel like, no, you know, I, I, uh, I'm just letting it go. I, I feel like it's, it's kind of a new year, new me, you know, kind of thing. So let's roll with it. For the record, it was not a mutual breakup. It was one-sided. <laughs> All right. Uh, hey, uh, you're, you're, you're zagged up, man. Go Zags. How are you feeling about the Zags right now, Marco? Uh, I, uh, I feel as, a, as, as though I do every year, Goldie, um, confident and, uh, just hopeful, you know, and, and this year, I, I think I can, I can safely say that this is probably the most talented Zags team that we've ever seen. Um, and just dominant, I mean, with, with Suggs and, and Ayayi and, and all these guys that are just, uh, you know, drew Timmy out of nowhere. I mean, these guys are just, they're fun to watch and, uh, and they just beat up on everybody they play. So. It's, it's been a blast to, uh, to watch these games. Well, you are confident and optimistic as you are every year, and that can be said about you as well on the field. Man, we, we want to talk a lot about what's, what's coming up for the Mariners, Marco, 
and uh, a season in 2021 that I know we're all anticipating for a, a wide variety of reasons. But we want to go back and reflect a little bit on you and the abbreviated 2020 campaign, Marco. It was your best, and that's saying something. Every year you have found some way to become a better version of you. And we, we kind of saw almost it felt like this kind of quantum leap from you last season. I'm not sure if it felt that way, but what, what was your biggest takeaway from last season for your personal performance? Well, I think, um, you know, a lot something I don't speak about a lot is uh, another year removed from uh, arm surgeries and being able to be at full health and just be confident in my arm and my body to a level that I haven't felt in a long, long time. I feel like this was the picture that I was supposed to be, the path that I was on. Um, before my arm problems started hitting about 2015, 2016. And now being, you know, almost five years removed from TJ this, this April, I just feel like I'm able to continually get better. I feel like I'm able to improve because of my health. And uh, I think that that's something that a lot of people kind of overlook with me is my ability to adapt and develop and, and grow as a pitcher. And um, I think that that's just kind of what you saw this year. Speaking of growing, like what areas are you looking to grow even further as a pitcher? It's that's a tough question. I think that, uh, you know, as we get into spring training and I, and I kind of feel the need of, you know, there's some areas for improvement. I think I'll have a better answer for that um, individually, but collectively um, I'm ready to win. And uh, I think this entire organization is ready to win. Um, that's, that's the improvement that we need to make. We need to, go out and, and, uh, and attack some teams and go out and win some ball games, go out and take the division. Um, that, those, are, those are things that are on my mind right now. Gary, I can answer that question for Marco. It's the seven walks. Yeah, <laughs> entirely too many. That needs to be cleaned up. Marco, and it needs to be cleaned up by the end of April. Marco, we thought it would have been great to cut the highlight of every walk <clears throat> that you would yeah. shoot this year and kind of play them back and forth. Because uh, since there are only seven, there would have been plenty of time to do that. <laughs> and have you break it down? What happened here, Marco? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that's a that's a question I would get asked after every game that I had a walk. It was like you threw, you know, six, seven innings and you gave up two runs. But, you know, let's talk about the walk. Let's 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 really break down every pitch. What you know, what were you thinking? I think Greg Johns, like every time out, he's like, so there was the walk. And, and <laughs> I was like, Greg, look, man, like I'm tired of answering for this. Like I, I, I'm ready to move on, you know? Did you force Greg into retirement? We wish him all the best in his second career as a father and grandfather. Yeah, no, um, <laughs> I did not force Greg into retirement. You would probably know more about that than I would. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but no, he, he'll be missed. He's one of my favorite guys to work with. Um, Very, always, yeah. always such a welcoming face after a good or a bad game. You got Greg there. He's the one constant. So he's, he's a great guy. He's a good man, a great reporter as well. We will miss Greg, but we know we'll be seeing him around plenty of times. Marco, when, when you look at the way that you pitch and in particular last season, when you talk about pitchers working the corners and the edges of the plate, you know, they can measure that now and it's got a great name and it's pretty much simplistic in its definition. It's edge percentage. And the good people at Baseball Savant track this on a day-in and day-out basis. And basically what they're looking at is the width of a baseball in or out of the box, right? The strike zone box that we see on yeah. TV all the time. 
and you had one of the very best edge percentages in baseball. You led the American League. 48% of your pitches, Marco, about half of your pitches, were right there, a baseball widths in or out of that box. How much of that is just simply a testament to how you are preparing each and every game? I think, um, no, that, it's, it's well-worded, um, Goldie, on your behalf. Um, <laughs> I think that you're right. It's not, you know, I'm not trying to pitch to the corners and, and, be, and be fine and be perfect. Um, I think that is a result of, of prep, preparation and executing a pitch to the best of my ability. And I think that the strike zone is rectangular and it is its shape because it's, it's shaped to the hitter that's in the box, right? The height, the width, everything about it. Um, and so when you attack those corners, you're actually attacking cold spots or weak spots of that hitter. Those happen to be those fine edges that you're talking about. Um, and so I think really I just executed to the best of my ability a plan um, a plan A of attack for each guy. And, um, you know, the result of those pitches is, is what it is, but I think it comes down to the preparation and also, I mean, the ability of our catchers to be able to, um, present a good target and frame some of those pitches, uh, you know, got to give catchers a lot of credit too. And, uh, I threw to a lot of them this year, but every one of them really stepped up and, and really tried to, try to bring their A game every, every time out. So uh, give them equal credit as well. I'm glad you mentioned pitching to cold spots. <clears throat> we, in this era, we talk so much about velo. Uh, it gets talked about all the time. And for good reason, who wouldn't want to throw 99, right? right? But you look at the top 10 in ERA this year in the American League, and I know ERA isn't everything, but you look at the top 10 and its names, you and Keiko and Maeda and Raul and all these guys were, if you inverse <clears throat> hardest fastballs in the American league, you know, we're talking 88, 89, 90 miles per hour for all these guys. And it's just chock full of the top 10. Yeah. And given the age of information that we're in where, you know, the weakness of every hitter coming up to the plate, I think of this as kind of a, a glory time for pitchers that can command that can spot to pitch because of all the information we have. How do you look at that? Yeah, well, I think velocity gives you more margin for error, right? Um, but execution is really the name of the game nowadays with how hard hitters are swinging. Um, exit velos off the bat have been record highs. The ball, we can, we can get into that, but the ball is different. The ball is flying better. And so I think it is, like you said, I'm glad you said that, it is the glory days for pitchers who can not only game plan, but pitchers who can stick to a game plan and execute. I think that a lot of things that aren't talked about is 90 miles an hour um, hitters when they when they know they're going to see 90 they're timed up to 90 they're not they're not thinking oh yeah I'm, I'm getting a cookie with 90 okay his fastball is at 90 so then I have to adjust my speed my my stride everything is timed up to that so they're adjusting to my fastball which when I attack with it it is firm I mean you could stand in the box and 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 sit next to an 80 mile an hour fastball and it's going to blow by you if you're not ready and so that's what I pitch off of. I pitch off of disrupting timing, reading a swing and, 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 and giving them the opposite of what they think they're going to get. And then pitching without fear in, in any count, I think is a big deal nowadays too, when guys are, are afraid of contact because it seems like every barrel nowadays is a home run. And so I think pitching without fear to, to certain parts of the strike zone is a huge thing that we're not talking enough about. Marco, something you just said about sticking to a game plan, how 
you made it sound like that is easier said than done. How difficult is it to stick to a game plan that you and your catcher and your coaching staff have come up with? It's extremely difficult. Um, and it, it's taken a lot of practice. Uh, I think that as I've gotten to be a be become a better pitcher, it's because of my ability to game plan and, and visualize a plan of attack the night beforehand, you know, visualize these hitters standing in a box or even three days before the game, I'm visualizing them in the box uh, for my bullpens. I mean, those are things that I've just had to get better at because that is what it takes at every, um, every day you have to try to do something to get that much better. But the game plan the day of, I think has been crucial for us and, and to find a plan a sort of speak that you know my my best pitches to the best part of the strike zone for each guy we call that plan a and and i think that you know finding that and realizing to how to stick to it and then on days where you don't have it realizing that and abandoning it and finding something else that'll work because i think being too stubborn to a game plan can be detrimental as well when you mentioned not having it, you're a guy that has multiple weapons. You can attack hitters all kinds of different ways. And like a typical start, how many pitches do you have a great feel for, would you say, in a typical start? I hope to have three. Um, that's, that's the minimum because, you know, you got to start with number one. You hope to have a good fastball that day. For me, I hope to have a good four seam because my four seam I can pitch to three different spots with. With that, I think if I have a cutter that day, that's, that's a huge weapon for me. And then change up and curveball, sometimes you have one or the other. The days where you have both, special things could happen, or you could get greedy and try to do too much, and, and that could be detrimental as well. So finding a sweet spot with those pitches is, is, is been, has been tough. But there's days where, where you come out and you have two pitches, and, and you really have to think about, okay, well, my cutter's not working today. It, it's time to abandon it. It's time to move on because you try to throw it too much, and, and that's when you get hurt. We're going to take a break with Marco in just a moment. But before we do, Marco, we've talked a lot about command. Can you teach command to a young pitcher? Or is it just something that you have or you don't have? I think you could teach command. And I think it starts with repeatability of your pitching mechanics. I think that the more simple you are with your mechanics, a lot of people have asked me, you know, can you coach my kid? Can you tell him what to do? And, <laughs> and, and I can, but a lot of that is just repetition and, and consistency. And for me, trying to be as simple as I can down the mound and, and down the slope to the catcher. Um, that's where command comes from the ability to repeat. Um, and then your, your mental aspect of, of being the same every time you step on the mound. Um, if you're too emotional or not emotional enough, then that affects that as well too. Could you teach Aaron command? Uh, Aaron is, is, is too far gone. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's mostly, mostly because of the emotional component to it all. It's mostly that. Yes. It's, I mean, it's, there's a, there's really a the huge... neck up that I can't work with right now. Um, yeah. There's, there is a huge physical disadvantage to go along with it, but just the, the iceberg <laughs> for the Titanic is without question, the mental game. There's no right. doubt. And the diet, the diet as well. Hey, we're going we're gonna to talk more with uh, the Mariners' opening day starter. It will be his third straight year. Number seven, Marco Gonzalez joins us when we come back on the Hot Stove Show on the Alaska Airlines Mariners Radio Network. 3-2 to Luis Renjifo. Breaking ball, strike three called, and he got him looking. There is strikeout number eight for Marco Gonzalez. He has retired the last 21 Angels hitters in a row. Welcome back inside the Hot Stove Show. We are joined once again by Mariners starting pitcher Marco Gonzalez. I'm Aaron Goldsmith, joined as always by Gary Hill. Marco, we want to start looking a little ahead into 2021 for the Mariners. And in order to do that, we have to take a look at a guy who 
is somebody that you uh, predicted some hardware for, Marco. You called it. You called Kyle Lewis winning Rookie of the Year. Not only did he win it, he won it unanimously, Marco. I, I, I do find it really interesting how Kyle was drafted in the first round in July of 2016. And then the following summer, Jerry goes out and acquires you from the Cardinals. And now the two of you are among the main pillars of this organization with, with great sights on the horizon. Uh, when yeah. you th- look back and think of Kyle Lewis and all he did in center field and also at the plate, uh, and you've had some time to reflect on it. W- what stands out to you the most? Consistency. And that's why I said what I said in summer camp. That's why I said that he was going to win rookie of the year. Not only is he extremely talented, but he's extremely consistent on the field. Emotion-wise, approach-wise, you just see the same guy over and over again. And I actually, uh, there was a game, I think, towards the end of the year in September, he was kind of scuffling a little bit, um, surprisingly. And he goes out and he hits a a bomb to dead center. And he came in, he was frustrated with himself because he was was trying to overachieve. He was trying to overreach, trying to do too much. And he was frustrated with himself. He came to the dugout. He's just like, just hit the ball. Just hit the ball. And for this guy, this game is so simple. And he has such a simple mindset that I really appreciate, you know, what he brings to the field and how he brings it to the field every day. And so I see, I see nothing but success in this, guy, in this kid's future. He was solid in center field and a couple of gold glovers on the infield as well. The defense made huge leaps from the year before. How much difference does that make for you as a pitcher when you have – those kinds of defenders on a field? It makes a world of difference for me to be able to pitch to contact with confidence, um, which I, which I always do, you know, you have to believe in the guys behind you, but when you got, now we're going to have three gold gloves in the infield, Kyle and JP and Evan, and um, you have a guy patrolling out in center field and, you know, we're going to get Mitch Hanniger back and I just don't see any holes. I really don't. And uh, for me, especially, to be a guy that's just going to attack the strike zone and force guys to swing the bat. I, I'm, I'm trying to get us out of there in, in two, two and a half hours. So th- this is perfect. Um, th- this is, this is exactly what this team needs to go farther and, and really, you know, reach, reach our goals of, of, you know, getting into the postseason and winning a championship it starts with defense, defense and pitching. Th- those are how you, you, uh, you subtract runs. And so I, I really have the utmost confidence in that, in that uh, squad out there. When's the, uh, by the way, when's the Marco gold glove going to arrive? And we always hear Marco's an athlete, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, single, I mean, single digit guy, right? Number seven. Like you're making a statement there. Went to a basketball school. Says he could have gotten a scholarship to play hoops too. I mean, not my words, his. Like, I mean, how, right, Marco? You've said that. That's, I don't believe that I've that's ever not, said that to I think you. That's been, I think that's been on the record. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, g- give, me, give me a full 162 games. All right. Um, give me a season where the voting on the gold glove isn't just strictly stats. It isn't just like it was in 2020. I'm pretty sure it was like for the pitcher who won it, wasn't there a just, it was like strictly one stat that, that they went off of, which was different than years past. Um, and then tell Evan White to flip the ball to me more. That'd be <laughs> so those are conversations that we're going to have in spring. You give me every, every put out attempt that you can, you flip the ball to me. I'm going to be, I'm going to be running my butt over there. So flip me the ball. That's it. I'm calling it Gare. I'm calling Marco gold glove. Ooh, I like 2021 it. right here. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that's, that has to happen. It's hardware that I've wanted um, since since I got drafted. To be honest, um, I you know I 
I played a position in college, so I do have a leg up. I, I've taken millions of ground balls over at first base. Um, and so I feel that I, I, I definitely am capable. Um, I need the opportunity of a full season and I need Evan White to flip me the ball. So, <laughs> let's go spread the word. <laughs> That's what we're here for Marco. One thing I've never had a chance to ask you about, um, mainly because we almost, well, we never really saw each other face to face last year. I know you are a huge Kobe fan. And during the quarantine period last year, when there was no baseball going on in May, we all know Kobe and his daughter Gianna and, and many others tragically passed in that horrible helicopter crash in Los Angeles. Uh, but I know how much he meant to you as a, just a guy as a sports fan, but then also as a competitor and how you would watch his videos, his highlight videos before you started a major league baseball game. So I'm curious. Yeah not having a chance to talk to you about this yet, what his passing uh, did to you? Man, I mean, probably the same that it's done to everybody. I mean, it's just a gut-wrenching feeling. You know, it feels like um, one of your idols, you know, someone that you've looked up to. I've never even met the guy, but I feel like I, I've, I've known every, you know, everything about him, um, every ounce of who he is as a competitor. I feel like I've tried to, channel into my own sport, into my own career. Um, but yeah, I mean, it started, the videos started with, uh, with Darren McManus, uh, our former mental skills coach with the Mariners. Um, he really believed in visualization. And so pregame, you know, he would have a video that he would send to me and it would be a couple minutes long and it would be of Kobe. Some, some would be basketball highlights. Some would be him just talking about his mindset, about his mentality, about the things that he thinks about. Um, I've read his books. I've read everything about Kobe and, um, you know, from his trainers and, um, you know, it's just, it's just one of those things where you feel like now every athlete that's looked up to him has a responsibility to carry on, um, that legacy, that mindset in a way, you know, that Mamba mentality. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's just, uh, it's just one of those things that really hits you, you know, right, right in the gut, um, you know, he's a father and you think about his family and you think about his kids and just something that you just really can't wrap your mind around, you know, there's no, there's no doubt. And it was, um, I, I always enjoyed hearing you talk when, when we were talking in, in the clubhouse about you preparing for games. And that is an element and that I know watching those videos is just a, a very small speck of the preparation that goes into it. I am curious what your favorite part of preparing for a start is. That's a really good question. I don't think anybody's ever asked me that before. I think my favorite part, I think there's a window that's my favorite part. So I'll give you, it's about a 20 minute window. And it's after I'm done in the weight room, after I'm done in the training room, there's a time where I put my headphones back on and I go and I get dressed formally. Like I, I've, I've had my pants on, I've had maybe an undershirt, maybe tennis shoes on. Um, but I actually go and I put my jersey on, my cleats and my hat. I get formally dressed, put on a hoodie over top. Um, and I'm sitting in my locker and I have a collection of songs that I listen to that are my favorite songs out of a playlist or something. And I just sit there and I think about how grateful I am to, to be able to put on a Jersey, to be able to lace up cleats and to be able to go and compete. It's my favorite things in the entire world. And, uh, then there's, there's a period where I leave the music at my locker, leave my phone at my locker, text my wife, tell her I love her. And I go out on the field and those moments before I start throwing 
are just full of gratitude and I feel grounded. I feel like it's where I'm supposed to be. I can, I can leave my phone for a minute and it's just pure. It's very pure. There's no politics. There's no noise going on. Um, and it's just, it's very, it's almost blissful really. Um, and then once I start throwing a baseball, then it's, it's, it's fiery and it's intense and there's emotion, but, but the, that window where the prep is done and I can step away and then walk out on the field. Those are, those are my favorite times. I've been thinking about what this year and next year will look like because of the ramifications of last year, especially with starting pitchers and you know, a lot of young pitchers coming up, lost innings along the way, a lot of veterans clearly lost innings from last year. How do you see the ramifications the next couple of seasons in terms of total innings a pitcher can actually throw given just how many innings were lost last year? Yeah. Um, no, that's something that I've thought about, you know, in, in my prep for this year, because we're preparing for 162 games and we only played 60 last year. So to go from 11 starts to hopefully 30, 30 plus, you know, whatever I can get this year, th there's a big jump in that. And so it starts with the end of last year. I mean, you have to prepare for another marathon and we had a sprint last year. So now slowing it down and maybe building a little more arm strength, maybe long tossing a little bit more. The physical aspect of that is going to change. I mean, we're going to have to ease into the season and, and definitely, you know, dip our toes in and, and before we jump in, because, you know, you're going to have 30 starts. And for our young guys who've never done that, you know, they need to take it slow and they need to realize that they need to take care of their bodies. I think that's the biggest part. I've been through my fair share of injuries and it happens because of lack of preparation or, or, or over exhaustion. And, and I think that we need to avoid both of those. Marco, we could talk to you for the whole show, man. It's great to see you. It's great to hear your insights and uh, you obviously offer a, a great perspective on things and you're always so generous with your time and uh, kind of taking us behind the curtain a little bit. So we appreciate all that. It's great seeing you. We look forward to seeing you down in Peoria, man. And, um, don't cut the hair. Okay. Just let it go. Let <laughs> I won't, go. I won't. The, uh, the wife, she likes it. So it's here to stay. So we'll see how it goes. It's, it's definitely more of a management process, but you know, <laughs> something, something you don't know much about given your hair. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. It's, it's going to be tough for you going forward, Goldie. Um, I really feel sorry that you're going to have to look at this for the next, however long it's around, because I know that you're intimidated and scared. Just um, keep the hoodie on. Okay. Do me a favor. Yeah, I appreciate it. Hey, man, great seeing you. Go Zags. Thanks for hopping on with us. Go Zags and go M's. Thanks, guys. That's right. There he is, number seven, Marco Gonzalez. When we come back on the hot stove, we'll talk with Kyle Glazer of Baseball America. That's straight ahead on the Alaska Airlines Mariners Radio Network. Welcome back. Glad you're with us as the hot stove report rolls along, Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill. And it's a treat to be joined by man, one of our favorite guys to catch up with each and every season, or in this case, uh, offseason a national writer for Baseball America and a proud ASU alum calling us from his home outside of San Diego, Kyle Glazer. Kyle, it's good to talk with you, man. Happy New Year to you. Yeah, Happy New Year to you guys. It's uh, certainly been an interesting offseason, hoping things pick up a little bit. But uh, believe it or not, we're just over a month away from spring training. Can't believe how fast it's coming up on us. It, it has been bizarre. And Gary and I talked to a lot of people during the quarantine time and then during the abbreviated season and now we're ramping things up getting ready for spring but how has it been for you and baseball america as you are 
Oh, somewhat recently coming out with your most updated Mariners top 10 rankings. <laughs> and as we've talked to other people about before, I mean, you're ranking guys who a lot of them haven't actually played a meaningful game in the entire 2020 year from an industry standpoint and what you do for a living. This must've been a real challenge. This was the most difficult year we've had since I've been at BA. Now I've only been here for the last four years, but talking to my colleagues who have been here much longer yeah, I mean, the core of what we do is we go out and see guys ourselves. We have Lord knows how many phone calls with scouts, managers, opposing managers, farm directors, you know, over the course of the entire season, just gathering tons and tons and tons of information. We have uh, Matt Eddy does a lot of our statistical analysis. We have full seasons worth of data we run through, and we just have a wealth of information every year that this year we just don't have a lot of these guys, what developments they made were behind closed doors at the alternate site. Some teams allowed other teams to receive video and data. Others didn't. Then instructional league, it was such an informal setting. There's no question. This was the most difficult year to evaluate what the value of the information was we were getting, even if there wasn't information in the first place. You just came out with your prospect handbook too. This is one of my favorite times of the year. I wait for it. I wait for it to come out. And it's always really exciting when it does. And I think for Mariner fans, even more exciting this year with Julio Rodriguez on the front. To put it in context, you know, it's really a who's who every year when you look at it. You, just the past few years, we've seen Tatis on there and Corey Seager and Chris Bryant and Trout. And uh, you just go down the list. It's a who's who. So this is a very exciting time that Julio Rodriguez is on your cover. Yep. Julio Rodriguez is on the cover of the BA Prospect Handbook. He's also on the cover of our January issue. Uh, it's the first issue of our 40th season, 40th year, I should say, as a publication. So it's a big year for us. And there's no question, he is a tremendously talented young player. And that's a big reason why he's on the cover of the handbook. So take us inside. What are those conversations like? I mean, does everyone get in a room and kind of hash it out? How, how does it take place the, the process of who goes on the cover? Normally it's actually decided just by our editors, JJ Cooper and Matt Eddy, they make the call. And this year, just looking at the candidates, uh, we felt like, you know, you never want to have a repeat cover. You want it to be someone new every year. And last year's uh, cover, cover uh, feature subject, if you will, Wander Franco obviously didn't graduate to the major leagues this year. He's still a prospect. And it's like, well, who do we consider to be among the game's other elite prospects, Adley Rutschman with the Orioles is one, Julio with the Mariners being uh, really the other prime candidate. And ultimately, Matt and JJ decided that the excitement Julio brings, uh, the potential he has, it made him uh, the worthy cover subject uh, for the BA Prospect Handbook this year. Kyle Glazer is our guest on the Hot Stove Report. He's a national writer for Baseball America. And we, we do want to dive in a little bit to the, the top 10 with you, Kyle, and specifically when you look at the top five for the Mariners in terms of prospects per baseball America, you've got Julio followed by Jared Kelnick, which I have to, those two get along very well by all accounts. I have to imagine it burns Jared so much that he's number two. I mean, everything that we know about Jared Kelnick, it's got to burn. So Julio and Kelnick followed by Logan Gilbert, Emerson Hancock just recently drafted in the first round by the Mariners in June. And then Noel V. Marte, very young, promising shortstop. Uh, this is almost an impossible question, Kyle, even with your database in your own mind. But I have to imagine it's hard to find a better top five in almost any organization, and it's subjective, but than what the Mariners have going into 2021. 
There's no question. This is one of the strongest top fives. And really, you can extend it even to the top seven if you want to go all the way down to George Kirby. This is one of the strongest top of the systems in Major League Baseball. The Tampa Bay Rays are in that conversation. The San Diego Padres, even after all their trades, are in the conversation. But there's no question the Mariners have some elite, elite talent at the top of their system matched by few others in Major League Baseball today. It's interesting when you look at the top 10, it's a lot of guys we've been talking about for a while. It's guys that we've seen coming. Juan 10 is a guy who I don't know if a lot of Mariner fans know his backstory. He was a Mariner, then he wasn't, and now he's being reacquired, so he's back again. Tell us about Juan 10 and you know, in a, in a time where a lot of guys aren't graduating, how did he push himself into the top 10? Yeah, he's a young pitcher who just continues to get stronger. And as such, his velocity keeps ticking up. I had first heard his name when he was actually in the DSL with the Mariners. This was back when the Mariners farm system was pretty shallow before they had started their rebuild. And he was coming up as, hey, this is a guy who might need to be in our top 10 already. Uh, just really, really promising. There was a lot you had to project, but he showed all the things you want to see from a young pitcher. Uh, they ultimately traded him to the Mariners, but then, excuse me, to the Yankees, uh, but then they reacquired him for Edwin Encarnacion. And he just continues to trend up. Again, all the things you want to see from a young pitcher, again, the fastball, it's, it's getting up now into 96, 97 range. Uh, you know, we used to be more low in the mid nineties. Uh, you're seeing the slider add some power. So the stuff just keeps coming, keeps getting better. He's got a good feel for a third pitch. Again, there's a long way to go, but when you see a young pitcher, who's long had promise and is trending up like this, it's something to take note of. Oh, Kyle, when the Mariners kind of went back to the drawing board and started not all over again, but when they traded Robinson Cano and Edwin Diaz and Jared Kelnick comes over with Justin Dunn and company, and now you kind of start this process of fully engaging new young talent into the organization. Part of the mantra, part of the pitch from general manager Jerry Depoto was that they really felt at the time and they still do believe that as the Mariners were starting to theoretically crest and build this great momentum to graduating so many of these prospects to the major leagues in a period of call it one to two or two and a half seasons that the rest of the division not that the rest of the division would be poor or weak but that the Astros powerhouse will, would have died down and so forth and so on so we, we are fully immersed in the Mariners system but when you look at the west and you look at the two teams in Texas and the two other teams in California who knows what they're going to do in the years to come in terms of free agents but when you look at their systems compared to the Mariners what are you seeing in terms of the best that you can start to kind of project out two to three to five years and, and how everybody's kind of matching up. Yeah, the Mariners have the best farm system in the American League West, and it's a pretty wide margin. Um, no other team in the AL West can match the mix of top end depth and, excuse me, top end talent and depth that the Mariners system has. Now, will that translate to the Mariners reeling off a run of multiple division titles in a row? That's going to depend on what the Astros do, for example, with some of their key free agents, George Springer and Michael Brantley leaving this year. You have Zach Greinke and Carlos Correa potentially leaving after next year. You know, depending on what they do with them, that's certainly going to decide, you know, how likely it is the Mariners supplant them as one of the powers. Same thing with the A's losing Marcus Simeon and Liam Hendricks potentially in free agency this year. They're still on the market. So from a pure farm system perspective, the Mariners are absolutely the top of the class in the AL West, 
whether that translates into the franchise ending their first playoff drought, ending the playoff drought that they've had since 2001, it's going to depend a little bit on what some of these other teams do with their free agents. But if they don't resign them, there's no question. The Mariners' future already looks bright. And if the A's and Astros don't resign their key guys, the Angels can't figure out their pitching, there's no question the Mariners have a really, really good opportunity to start becoming potentially a true power in the American League West and the American League as a whole. Is there a team that you look at in comparison to what we've seen in the Mariners as they're building? Is there another team that you look at that have already done it that is comparable to what the Mariners are doing? Yeah, I mean, I think you look at the Padres and what they did. They went into a full-blown rebuild. Uh, they really traded off the final pieces of their veterans, that the veteran core they built up the previous offseason in the summer of 2016. They went through some lean years and just amassed this incredible array of talent, both in terms of top-end elite-level talent and depth. And we saw them graduate a couple of those guys to the majors and trade the depth for impact big league pieces this past season. And combined with the offseason moves they've made, trading even more of that prospect depth, they now look like a contender in the National League. So uh, that would be the closest, I think, comparison to maybe what the Mariners are trying to do now. The Mariners have not yet built up the same level of depth the Padres did. And in terms of having that depth for trade pieces, that's, that's a key component of what the Padres did. So in that sense, the Mariners still need more. It's not a direct comparison. But in terms of the path they've taken, you can see that general trend, that general direction. To your point, too, you look at that trade, the Padres and the Mariners. I mean, there's two guys from that trade in the Mariners' top 10 right now. It's pretty remarkable how much depth the Padres system has had. Yeah, and that was a large, large, large product of them uh, spending more than $80 million internationally during the 2016-2017 international signing period. Teams are no longer permitted to spend that much. They're now capped, so it makes it a little tricky to kind of emulate it entirely. But look, the Padres had some very lean years. There was a year they kept uh, three Rule 5 guys on the roster. They picked in the top 10 in the draft five year, five seasons in a row. There's definitely some, some pain that came with it, but ultimately it looks like the payoff is coming. And now if you're the Mariners, you say, okay, you know, we've seen some good things in terms of amassing high draft picks. They, they've drafted very well for all intents and purposes. They have invested internationally. You see with Julio Rodriguez, you see with Noel V. Marte. So there's definitely some, some similar patterns. And um, it's just a matter of continuing to build that system and continuing to graduate these guys to the major leagues. And hopefully in two, three years or so, being in a similar place to the Padres. That's the hope, at least. Kyle, I'm, I'm impressed we were able to peel you off the beach for 15 minutes or so to come <laughs> come join us to talk a little hot stove. It's, it's great to spend some time with you. Your insights are unparalleled. Your work, not only in the minors, but in the majors as well. It's uh, you're, you're the real deal in the total package, man. So it's, it's always a treat to be able to talk with you. Thank you for sharing your insights with us tonight. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for the kind words. And thank you guys for having me. It's always fun joining you guys and happy to do so anytime. He is Kyle Glazer of Baseball America, kind enough to join us on the Hot Stove Report. Well, we hope to see you back at T-Mobile Park next season. When you're ready, you can attend the games you want, select the seats you want, and secure the savings you want for all when you want with the Mariners 2021 Flex membership now available with no deposit required. For more information, text 21 to 71532. When we come back, it's our number two of the Hot Stove Report. Anthony Masevich, Mariners reliever, joins us straight ahead on the Alaska Airlines Mariners Radio Network. Hot Stove Report rolls along. Aaron Goldsmith alongside Gary Hill as we are winding down our number one on the hot stove. We've got a 
packed hour number two straight ahead. We'll be talking with Emmanuel Sefuentes, uh, just recently promoted uh, to work alongside Andy McKay, the Mariners farm director. Emmanuel will be uh, doing great things in the Mariners minor league farm system. We'll also be talking with Anthony Masevich in the second hour, Mariners reliever who did really fine things last year in his first big league campaign. Gary, great first hour, man. Marco Gonzalez for two segments was a treat. And, you know, there's a, there's a certain level of, I guess, transparency and just uh, honesty that comes along with talking with Marco. You uh, get a real clear sense each and every time we chat with uh, number seven, that he is uh, always hungry for more. I don't, I, I think he could win every award imaginable, both team and individual and would still want more. And that's, Hey, that's exactly what you want in your number one starter, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. You want that. You want that out of your leader as well. Man, I love talking to Marco. I feel like we get insights from him that we don't necessarily get from anywhere. I mean, he's and part of it is he uh, he uh, he's so thoughtful in his answers. He gives us so much time too, which is great. I mean, I felt like we could talk to him for like six hours and it would, it would be great. But uh, his stuff on the preparation I don't know if I've ever heard a pitcher talk about that. You know, that time right before the start, uh, when he, what's going through his mind, what he's thinking about that is so insightful stuff. I've never really thought about that is so cool. So cool to think about, like put yourself in those shoes, right? You're in the locker room. uh, You're getting ready for the start. You're listening to music. What are you doing before that adrenaline kick? It's it's something really cool to think about that I've never heard a pitcher really describe in depth. It was really unique. But it is amazing, too, when you think about scouting starting pitchers, whether you are signing a free agent or you're scouting them out of the draft or you're scouting them in another minor league system, the amount of downtime for a starting pitcher, you are performing one out of every five days. You have four days out of every five where you are all you're doing is preparing. You're and you're honing your craft and you are getting ready for your next performance. And the type of discipline that that takes to not let part of those days or an entire day slip by without you maximizing your time and your energy. And when the Mariners went out and they traded, when Jerry traded for Marco Gonzalez, we had no idea the depth of character and guy let alone talent that the Mariners were getting and to be fair I don't know if the Mariners knew that it would be to this level right and we haven't even seen uh, how good it can be for Marco but he's he's a total package man he, he doesn't blow 95 but he doesn't have to as we've seen he proves that there are many ways to get it done and the Mariners are, are so thankful to have him not only as an opening day starter but as a leader and you know Gary uh, when we talked to Kyle Glazer of Baseball America their national writer. I mean, you get a really clear sense. This isn't just company lying from the Mariners. This isn't just press releases from the Mariners talking about how good the system is, how good the talent is that we've already started to see the first wave and that more waves are coming. I mean, the industry is saying that this is elite level stuff. The Mariners have on the farm. The statements are striking when he's saying they're as good as it is, you know, at the top echelon, when you're talking about 
impact talent at the top of an organization. That's a striking statement from someone like Kyle, who's in position to know. I mean, Baseball America, it's what they do. When you hear the Mariners compared to the Padres, I mean, that's a great place to be because their system has been loaded the last few years, and they're seeing the dividends right now with not only the talent they've brought up that is playing, you know, Tatis and go down the list, but also the talent they've used to acquire other major leaguers along the way. I mean, there's a reason they have been so active when it comes to trades. There's no doubt about it. Mariners in a very good position in that regard, to say the least. Hour number one of the Hot Stove Report is in the book. So happy that you're with us tonight when we come back. Hour number two, Anthony Masevich, fresh off a very strong rookie campaign in the show, working out of Scott Service's bullpen. He joins us next on the Hot Stove Report on the Alaska Airlines Mariners Radio Network. 7-2 Houston, two-ounce man at second, bottom of the sixth inning. On the way, the payoff. Swing and a miss for strike three. Good off-speed pitch. And the young rookie, Anthony Masevich, in his big league debut, strikes out Jose Altuve for his first career big league ticket punched. Welcome back. Glad you're with us for hour number two of the Hot Stove Report. Aaron Goldsmith, Gary Hill, now joined by Mariners reliever. Anthony Masevich, kind enough to join us from his home just outside of Detroit in Mount Clemens, Michigan. Anthony, it's good to talk to you. Happy New Year. How are you, my friend? Good, man. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate you guys having me and Marco on the show, and I'm doing well. Hope you guys had a good New Year yourselves. Very good, very good. Everything's good here. It's very rainy. What's the, uh, what are the temperatures checking in right now in the uh, Mount Clemens area in Michigan? Uh, well, in the mornings, it's about 20, and then it gets up to about 29. So it's not unbearably <laughs> cold, but I can say that the last two days, me and my brother played golf with some snow on the green, so... We're, uh, the Michiganders are still out there trying to get every round of golf when we can, even in January. Okay, now you say it's not unbearably cold, and I think most of us would disagree <laughs> with that <laughs> to describe 20 to 29 degrees. Um, as, a, as a lifelong Michigander, Anthony, what, what in your definition is unbearably cold? What, what temperature are we talking about? Uh, I'd just say like anything from probably 10, 5 to 10 degrees right there with some snow on the ground. That's the good thing. We got no snow, so I can't I can't complain too much about the cold weather. But I'd say anything from five to ten degrees is I'm probably not going outside my house that day. Yeah, I think that's probably a very good decision. Yeah, single how, digits. How have, that's nice. Yeah. How have you adjusted, by the way, during your time uh, in Seattle or when you were in Tacoma, just down the road? Uh, snow versus rain. What do we have a? Is it a pick your poison situation? What do you have a preference? How are you feeling about either one of them? That's a tough question. I don't know. It is a pick your poison. I think um, for playing purposes, I'm almost, I'm almost rather playing snow because uh, the rain. Once you get wet, man, there's no there's no going back. You can't get dry. But driving purposes, I don't know. It has to be rain because even I've been here for 26 years and people still don't know how to drive in the snow and ice. So I have to, I have to say rain, honestly, unless we're playing ball. Then I'll, I'll play in snow. I've done it before. Yeah, I'm guessing at Michigan State, right? You had a game or two with flurries that have had to have happened. Oh, yeah, there's a, there's quite a few. And then one time they had us try and shovel the whole field off. So there's, there's been a quite a few experiences with snow in, in my part of town. Now, did the players have to shovel the field? Is that what you're saying? When you were in college at Michigan State, was this a, a part of your daily pregame routine? They they tried one time. We actually showed up to our locker room. They had, they had a shovel in each of our lockers. And they said, come on, this is our workout for the day. So we got about about two square feet of shovel snow off the off the grass, and they said, all right, I think we're going to bang this today now, guys. Good job. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't a daily routine after that. that, 
Hey, Anthony, as we're talking here with Anthony Misevich, who just uh, completed his first season of the majors with the Mariners in 2020, working out of Scott Service's bullpen. Anthony, you had a, a really tremendous first year in the majors, Anthony. I think for maybe the more casual fan, it, it could have flown under the radar a little bit. But when you look at the numbers that you posted uh, working basically as a reliever for the first time. I know you had relieved some in the minors, but you were primarily a starter, to say the least. So this was, in many ways, it seemed like a new role for you. Uh, you led all Mariners relievers in total appearances. You led them in strikeout rate, a strikeout rate of right around 30%, with while still maintaining a low walk rate and doing it with a, a good mix of pitches. So when you now have time to go back and reflect on your first campaign in the show, um, what is it that you think about the most? Uh, I, I definitely think about, you know, the big situations that, you know, Skip put me in and, you know, Woody let me, you know, handle myself. Um, those are probably the top things that stick out. You know, those big situations where I was able to get out of it, help the boys, throw up a zero on the board. Um, the strikeouts are always good. You know, there can always be more. But, you know, really trusting me as a young guy in my first year in the big league, just putting me in those big, tough situations and, you know, hoping I can I can man up and, you know, get the outs we need. So those are the ones that stick out. I felt like I'd... I had a couple of mishaps this year. I mean, that's always going to happen. It could have been uh, number-wise a little bit better, but those big moments that I succeeded were, you know, top top of the cake for me. How was the transition to the bullpen? For me, I thought it was probably the easiest thing I could have done, honestly. I knew it was my, my ticket to the big leagues, and I was waiting for somebody to tell me just to, you know, take the bullpen role and go with it. It's a lot easier throwing one inning and throwing six innings, guys. I'll tell you that. I mean, after <laughs> one, I feel great, and after about five, I'm I'm pretty much cashed out, so... It was like the. It could have been the best thing that's ever happened to me. It, it's almost unfair to ask because this is you're just, man. You've just put your toe in the big league waters. But is this a role that you feel you uh, enjoy enough to be in this role for some time? Is there still a part of you that craves the routine of being a starter, or is the instant adrenaline pump of working in the bullpen something that you really feel like is something that you thrive with? I think I think it's a adrenaline pump, man. Coming out of the bullpen, getting your name called when that phone rings, I think it's it's something else. Because you know, you're as a starter, you have those first five days or those four days to get ready, and you know it's kind of the anticipation. You know, you're kind of waiting, but you know the bullpen life for me, it's it could be every single day, and it just fires me up that I know they trust me enough to go out there every day and do my job. So I think I could I could do this definitely for a while. Tell us about the first time you got that call. Your your major league debut, opening day, which is the strangest opening day I think we've all ever seen. But there you are getting the call, your first big league appearance. What do you remember about that day? Now, I remember striking Altuve. That's about it. Um, <laughs> honestly, it kind of went blank when I heard my first, first three hitters. But that's about the only thing I remember is you know getting him three, two, and him swinging out of his shoes. But um, I knew I knew definitely I was going to either throw that day or the next day. So it was kind of just, it was like I said, the anticipation just building up to like getting my feet wet and getting my routine set in the big league. So that's all I remember. It's kind of blackout and just trying to get as many outs as I could before they don't trust me anymore. So it was quite an experience. Mariners reliever Anthony Masevich is our guest on the Hot Stove Report. Anthony, you are in the strange position to have received – two different phone calls from Jerry DePoto. Hmm. You got a phone call that said that you were headed to Tampa Bay, which I got to say, you're not the first Mariners player to get a phone call from Jerry <laughs> saying he was going to Tampa Bay. But then you got a phone call from Jerry uh, welcoming you back. For those who don't recall or maybe weren't aware, you were drafted by the Mariners. And then two years later, you were traded to Tampa Bay. 
And then four months after that, you were reacquired by Jerry and the Mariners. You returned to Seattle. What was that ping pong back and forth like? Because you had been with the Mariners for long enough, I'd imagine, to have kind of some roots set in terms of coaches, teammates, minor league towns. You had a routine of people and places. And then you go, you barely unpack your bags, and then you're coming back. Yeah, honestly, when you get traded, you know, I, I didn't really experience until that point, but it's your heart kind of sinks to the bottom of your feet. You know, you don't know what to do. You're going to a, a new organization with new people, new players, new teammates. So you have no idea what's going on or the city you're going to. It's, I was kind of in shock, honestly. I thought, you know, Darren Brown, when he was my manager back in Arkansas when I got traded, I thought he was a joke, honestly, because we had an off day. So I thought he was just messing with me, you know, you know, haha, play a joke on this. It's really funny. But when Jerry called me, I was kind of like, uh, I kind of asked him for advice, like, what do I do? You know, who do I, who do I talk to? And, you know, he kind of reassured me that everybody will reach out to me. But when they called me back, it was, it was almost like Christmas. It was, I think it was December 12th or 13th. Um, you know, they let me, let me know. I got reacquired and it was almost like a Christmas miracle, you know, cause I wanted to see all the people I knew and all my teammates. So it was, when I went there, you know, I was kind of uncertain of what happened. And then I met some really good people in the Tampa Bay Rays organization. And when I came back, I was even more overjoyed that I could come back to the Mariners and, hopefully make my stamp in the big leagues with them. At what point in your journey did you believe that getting to the majors, getting to the big leagues was something that was realistic and could happen? I'd have to say last year, hmm. um, probably after my, my AAA debut, you know, after I started, I had, I had some struggles, but when I started throwing well, I figured, you know, maybe they'll give me a shot this September. And I thought I was, you know, super close to actually making my debut then. But that's when it kind of really kicked in that I'm, you know, I'm kind of, a hop, skip, and jump away from really making myself a, a name in the big leagues. So I'd have to say last year, right around then. Anthony, I want, I want to talk about your name because, you know, for people like Gary and myself who we pronounce names for a living, I got to tell you, <laughs> Anthony, we had to write yours out with some dashes in it for a while. I, I need to know, <laughs> tell me, can you recall at any point in your career, this could be in college, it could be in the minors, was there one particular butchering of your name by a PA announcer that you just had to laugh at? I mean, I have to imagine that in some small minor league towns where they're not they're not checking in on names. I mean, this this one could go south easily. <laughs> oh, it goes south a lot. You a lot more than a lot more than that. It does it does go south. But um, I think I was I was playing actually in Little Rock in Arkansas and. I think it was my first start of the year, and I I played there the year before, and the announcer just like totally butchered my name. I think I think he, it said like it sounded like my sandwiches, <laughs> my sandwiches, and everybody just kind of we, we just stopped and looked. Everybody looked at me, and I was I had no idea. I was just almost laughing, crying on the mound, you know, trying to warm up for the game. So there's been some tough ones, but you know, as it as I keep going, you know, once you get the dashes and kind of figure out the pronunciation, it, it kind of rolls off the tongue nice and easy. Is I got, there? I, I kind of like my community? sandwiches. I got to be honest. Yeah. I think that's a, <laughs> I, that's an even better answer than I could have hoped for. To be honest with you, <laughs> Is, has there been any uh, confusion between Masevich and Nick Margavichus? I mean, has there been? Have you guys been? You know, one called on for something when it should have been the other. I guess it's helpful that Nick was working eventually in the rotation, but I mean, this this could be made for make for some awkward bullpen phone calls. No, actually, thank God it didn't. You know, I've, I've, Woody's been my pitching coach for almost four years now, so he knows me pretty well. But I, when, when actually I met uh, Mark Gavish, just I, I kind of nicknamed him. I just gave him the nickname, the Marg, you know, just kind of everybody screaming the Marg at him. So anytime they called down, it, would, it wouldn't even be 
Margavish because we get Marg going or Miz. So we kind of we had some good nicknames going down in the bullpen for a little bit, but uh, thank God there was no confusion between that. Because I don't think I could fill the role he he does, man. He does something special. So you know, you bring up an interesting point. You've had the same pitching coach for the past several seasons, which is unusual, and you've kind of been playing with the same group of guys as well. A lot of guys making the same journey that you are, and now you're in the majors with a lot of them. What has it been like, not only with the coaches, the players, all kind of growing at the same time and getting to the majors? Uh, it kind of feels like uh, it sounds weird to say, but it feels like you're a kid again. You know, you're kind of playing with the, the guys you've known for the past three years and the coaches, it kind of feels like you're just, you're growing up, but in, in a professional way, almost, you know, I, I play with a lot of my friends and I was growing up for several years, you know, we never got to this point, but it, it feels like almost surreal that I get to play with my buddies on a major league baseball team and the coaches I know, and I want to play with the best. So it, it's almost surreal. Honestly, it's like, it's probably one of the best atmospheres I've ever had on a baseball field. Anthony, man, it's great to catch up with you a little bit. We're glad you are, at least by your standards, staying warm in Michigan. And we look forward to some uh, sunnier skies in Peoria and hopefully uh, get a little more face-to-face time with you in 2021 than we did in 2020. Congrats on a, on a fantastic uh, first tour in the majors, Anthony, and we are very excited for what's next for you and for the Mariners. So thanks so much for hopping on with us. Awesome. Thanks, guys. I appreciate the interview, and hopefully i see you guys soon in, in about a month or so. We hope for the same. There's no doubt about that. That is Anthony Musevich, Mariners reliever. When we come back, we'll be joined by Emmanuel Safuentes, the Mariners assistant director of player development. That's straight ahead on the Hot Stove Report. Welcome back. Hour number two of the Hot Stove Show continues. Aaron Goldsmith alongside Gary Hill. And, boy, pleased to be joined right now by a guy that we we haven't seen face-to-face in uh, over a year. But Emmanuel Safuentes, one of our favorite guys in the organization, Emmanuel has has climbed the ranks in a really relatively short period of time. He's the Mariners' newly minted assistant director of player development. Emmanuel was given that promotion, that new job title, right before the new year. Emmanuel, first of all, it's great to see you. It's great to have you on the program. How are you? Happy New Year to you, my friend. Yeah, thank you. Happy New Year uh, to you as well. Um, Everything is going really well. Obviously, in a new role, which I am incredibly grateful and excited for. Um, outside of that, life life is as good as can be right now with everything going on. So family is doing well, they're safe, um, and they're very happy. So uh, really excited to be, be on with you guys, though. Like you said, it's been quite a long time um, and uh, certainly pumped to hear your voice again. Oh, that's nice. You, you've reached a big time when you're on with, with Gary and myself, you, you, you know, that <laughs> clearly, clearly you, you realize exactly. that. Hey, Emmanuel, your, your rise through the organization is one that many of our, almost all of our listeners, I'm sure, unless they're deep in the weeds of Mariners front office dumb don't know about, uh, but you joined the organization in 2014 and you have uh, climbed your way from uh uh, an entry-level position, uh, an amateur scouting, all the way up to overseeing the uh, pro scouting department for the Mariners on the American League side, your previous role, and now uh, joining the player development ranks with the ball club, working alongside Andy McKay, who does a, a fantastic job. Can you tell us a little bit about your new job and what it will, what you will be bringing to the organization? Because it seems like it's a perfect fit for you and the club. Yeah, um, I think the most... Uh, kind of impact, I, I suppose, of or or kind of like the meat of the job is essentially taking our content, which Andy McKay, Max Weiner, Trent Blank, um, Hugh Quadobaum, Connor Dawson, they've done an amazing job of building content over the last three to four years. 
And really now it's about taking that content, implementing it, um, making sure that our programs and our systems are being held to a high standard every single day throughout the entire organization. Um, and I think that's kind of the focus of it right now um, and, and moving forward in terms of just kind of like the, the path and the perspective. Um, we've never had someone who was in scouting and now employer development or in advanced scouting and now employer development. So it is a unique perspective. I hope that um, it's a fresh perspective that I can add to the table. I've kind of seen the player pool from lots of different parts from the major leagues all the way down to high school level, obviously at the college level and somewhat at the international level as well. So um, I think I bring a good understanding of the player on just kind of what it takes to get to the big leagues. And hopefully I can help out our players and staff in that regard. So let's say it's a random day in July, just a, just a random day. You go to work that day. What does a typical, if there is a typical work day look like for you in this role? Yeah, I think in July, one thing that I'm learning about player development right now is that no two days are alike. Mm -hmm. And that is something that um, I didn't quite understand before. And I never quite had to deal with in the past in scouting. Yes, there is a lot of um, fluidity to it, but it is somewhat structured in advanced scouting. You know, the 162 game schedule, it is what it is. You know who you're facing every single night in player development. There are just so many different moving parts that you just don't know what's going to come up the next day. And it could be, it could range anything from what a player needs um, who's in the Dominican Republic to what a staff member needs in AAA. But um, I guess to try to answer your question, what I would assume a typical day is going to look like would be um, to read our game reports, um, see what the players are up to, see what kind of what benchmarks and check marks they're they're hitting on a daily basis and on a weekly basis and on a yearly basis, and then obviously being in close contact with our coordinators and and just kind of hearing about what they're up to and uh, getting a good understanding for where all of our players are at through them. Emmanuel Sofuentes is our guest. He is the Mariners assistant director of player development. Emmanuel, now that you are fully entrenched in the Mariners minor league organization and system, broad question, what is it that excites you the most about what's going on right now in the minors for the Mariners? Very good question. And I think the two things that excite me the most is one, obviously the players in our system right now. Um, I, I'd be remiss to not mention you know, Jerry Kalanick, Julio Rodriguez, Emerson Hancock, George Kirby, you name it. We do have a really good system right now. We've added a ton of talent over the last few years and um, incredibly excited to be around those types of players. And then the second thing is our staff. And Andy McKay has done a phenomenal job of, of adding impact staff members in every single position that we have. And it's very evident that when you talk to them, you clearly understand um, why Mariners player development system is um, going through staff members so much and uh, being poached by other teams. And it's something that from afar, I didn't quite understand on an intimate level. I knew that we were in a really good spot, but I never quite interacted with a lot of staff members. And um, I would say within the first two to three weeks, it was very evident that we have a very special group of staff members on board right now. I'm always interested in the kind of nature and nurture conversation when it comes to player development. And you have such a unique perspective. I mean, you played in college, as you've mentioned, you've been in all kinds of different roles already. When you look at a successful player in the big leagues, how much is it 
which is rollability. How much is it development through a system for them to get there? Yeah, uh, I think there's certainly a lot that has to do with rollability, as mm -hmm. we all know. Um, it's a very it's a very selective group that gets to play major league baseball, um, let alone stick in major league baseball. There aren't many, there aren't many players that have been able, I think, I believe somewhere around 20,000 just to play a game in the big leagues. Um, so there's certainly a, a raw ability to get there. And I think the difference between getting there and, and sticking and staying is, is where everything else comes into play in terms of development. Um, teaching the players what to expect and, and how to stick and how to use their unique talents um, and their unique abilities to uh, really create an advantage for them. And someone that I think about is uh, someone like Sean O'Malley, for instance, who mm -hmm. I was around uh, during advancing. And um, Sean just did an incredible job of using his own uh, strengths and weaknesses in a very advantageous way for him. Sean O'Malley, one of the, Gary and I have talked about this, one of the only guys in the last decade to have their name chanted inside the ballpark. That so, is awesome. I think I remember that. Yeah. yeah, it was, it's a short list. It's him and Seeger and maybe another guy. It's, it's few and far between. Well, we continue with uh, Emmanuel Fuentes talking about the uh, developmental side with the Mariners. And Emmanuel, you had a chance to go down to Arizona a, a while ago at this point for this very, like everything this year or last year to this year, a very kind of hybrid Arizona Fall League. Uh, there was a, a kind of a good pivot by Major League Baseball and the Mariners to try to make something out of nothing. There was no Fall League per se, but the Mariners uh, partnered with a number of teams in close proximity to Peoria to try to have some type of development time. There are some big names, uh, some of them that you've already mentioned. Uh, Julio was there, Emerson Hancock, Noelle Marte uh, was there as well, and, and many, many others. Can you walk us through what that time period was like uh, for the players, for the organization, and some of the good things that came out of it? Yeah, we, we put a very comprehensive program together. Um, we essentially split the player pool into two buckets. There was a bucket that was there to play and to develop on-field skills and to make up for missed reps that um, obviously the lost season um, had on us. And then there was another bucket of players that was there just to do high performance, strength and conditioning, um, get healthy, work in the training room, and really just build their bodies in a way that uh, they didn't have access to throughout quarantine period. So with that being said, uh, we were able to kind of view this as very individualized programs for everyone. Uh, we were able to fill the team every day, which was great. Um, we didn't have a whole lot of players that were there to play every single day. We kept that list fairly small and it was kind of designed to be that way. And a lot of the players who got to play, um, I believe they ended up with somewhere around 60 to 70 plate appearances. Uh, which, as we know, is not making up a full season, but it was much better than nothing. And the players who were just solely in the in the um, in the weight room and in the training room, we also saw a really good amount of gains there and an improvement that we're really excited about. How challenging has this past year been, given the circumstance and trying to develop the next generation of ball players in the organization? Yeah, I think it's, I think we won't really truly know the impact of that until probably years from now. Mm. Um, but I think the, the challenge early on, um, I actually wasn't involved with it because I wasn't in player development then. Mm. And I know there were a lot more bigger challenges early on when there were so many unknowns. Um, I kind of came in at a, at a, at a part where 
there were fewer unknowns, I suppose. The all site was going. We knew um, we had the Arizona Development League going. And I know just from speaking to various people within the department, uh, this year has been challenging for a lot of different people for a lot of different reasons. And as I mentioned before, the impact of that won't be known for a while. But I will say we are excited about the fact that a lot of players got to, in a very unique way, focus on their bodies in a way that they haven't been able to do before, whether it's add weight, add velocity to their fastballs, um, increase their speed, whatever it is. We've had such a long amount of time now where a lot of players have been able to focus on that. And I think we're going to see some surprises in 2021. Aaron and I have done the same too. We've taken advantage of this time and really improved on our speed and all those things as well. So I told myself I was going to do that, but it. <laughs> a lot of gains with a Z on my end for everybody. Just, you know, there's, there's no doubt. Hey, we, we've got a few minutes left with Emmanuel Sofuentes, is the Mariners assistant director of player development. And, you know, Emmanuel, we just saw recently Julio Rodriguez on the cover of Baseball America. Jared Kelnick has been on the cover of uh, almost everything in his uh, short career, it seems like, as well. And those two guys are front of mind. In your short period of time interacting with these two young men, uh, what are your takeaways on both Jared and Julio? I'll start with Jared. First of all, with Jared, I think what makes Jared really unique and fascinating is he kind of has a split personality. And this is something that we talk, Andy and I talk a lot about with, with great players is that when you see him putting in the work, when you see him pregame, when you see him in the cage, when you see him doing his drills, he works as if he has so much to prove. He works as if he is not one of the better prospects in the game. Um, he works as if he hasn't accomplished anything. And then when you see him play, when you see him in the box, when you see him in between the lines, he knows that he is one of the best players on the field, if not the best player on the field. And I think that's really unique. It's really tough to balance, but Jared does a really nice job of that. Um, aside from that, he's obviously incredibly talented. Uh, I think that's something that we all know. We've, we've seen it for years now. We saw it at the all site. We saw it in spring training in both versions of spring training. So we couldn't be, obviously couldn't be any more excited about, about Jared. In terms of Julio, um, the thing that really stands out about Julio, aside from him just being a physical specimen far beyond his years, and being incredibly talented is that he's so charismatic. This personality is so bubbly, easy to get along with. I think the city of Seattle is just absolutely going to love him if they don't already. And the personality that he has is infectious with so many different people and players. There's not one player or staff member that doesn't gravitate towards him. And then what he does on the field is, is really special in terms of just how physical he is, the kind of power that he has, the kind of future hit tool that he's going to present. So uh, really unique for both players, really excited about both and couldn't be any more happy with where they're at right now. We really appreciate your time. Congratulations on the new job role with the Mariners. And we hope to be seeing you sometime very soon, my man. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks, Gary. And certainly hope to see you guys soon and hope we're playing some baseball here shortly. That was Emmanuel Sefuentes, the newly named assistant director of player development, working alongside Andy McKay, doing great things and kind enough to Hop on the hot stove report with us tonight. Well, the Mariners community tour presented by Root Sports is back in 2021 and going virtual. Tune into public live streams featuring Mariners players and broadcasters as they discuss their off seasons and the outlook on the season ahead. For more information, dates and times, just visit mariners.com slash community tour.
We've got more of the Hot Stove Report coming straight up. Welcome back. Glad you're with us for the Hot Stove Report. Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill, as we're joined now by Mandy Lincoln, the Mariners Director of Marketing. Mandy, Happy New Year to you. How are you? Happy New Year. I am good. Thanks for having me on. You've been working from home diligently? Or have you been able to make it into the office these days? What's going on there? I'm, I'm dabbling in both a little bit, trying to be safe. Um, but, you know, nice to get in the ballpark every once in a while. I know. T-Mobile Park has been an empty place over the last few months. But that has not kept good work from being done, Mandy, in the front office, especially within the marketing department. Uh, in these weeks and months leading up to the Mariners' arrival in Peoria, where we're all eager to see some sunshine and baseball. I know it sounds like we've got a lot of things coming down the pike for Mariners fans in terms of content, specifically online. What can you tell us? Yeah, it's typically this time of year that, uh, you know, the holidays wrapped up, football's starting to wrap up, and, you know, people are starting to think, okay, baseball's right around the corner, and uh, people are excited, so we're being, you know, excited right alongside them, and uh, looking to engage with them and in this crazy time looking to, to do something new. So uh, a little sneak peek for Hot Stove listeners. Uh, later this week, we're going to be announcing um, a virtual uh, event for two weeks and uh, called the new Mariners Virtual Baseball Bash. Now, I realize that this is, we're teasing this, Mandy. We, we are. We are getting people the heads up that, that something great is coming their way for approximately a two-week stretch beginning on Tuesday the 19th. Uh, is there any any foreshadowing that we can do to further inform? Or is this I can, is I can give you a little. Wraps? Can we, I mean, for exclusively for Hot Stove Report listeners? Only because it's Hot Stove listeners. Thank you. Continue. <laughs> uh, we usually do are looking to provide access for our fans. Um, so whether that's Q&A with players or coaches, alumni, prospects, um, letting fans, you know, be a fly on the wall of media sessions with players. Uh, we're doing so social takeovers on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Uh, we're playing games. We're looking to give out prizes. And I don't know about you guys, but I do a lot of these virtual calls and I don't think I'm getting prizes when I tune in. So <laughs> looking to... <laughs> Looking to just surprise and delight fans over this um, two-week baseball bash. I assume, Gary, you'll be hosting the uh, TikTok sessions? Was it, I think Mandy was just fishing for a prize coming on this show. <laughs> <laughs> you know what was? what uh, do you got for me? I need to find something. Well, I know. Uh, I know. <laughs> Gary's just will offer anything up. I know, Mandy, during the last... Man, ever since the Mariners came back early from spring training and we knew that we'd be at home for a long, long time, the Mariners have made a, a real push and put a real emphasis on their YouTube channel, which has uh, grown significantly over this time. And the, the Mariners have just incredibly capable men and women within the organization that are helping to put content on that channel specifically. It's been just terrific. Uh, I, I would imagine that the YouTube channel might also have some traffic driven to it during this time as well. Is that fair to assume? Yes. YouTube will see lots of love. Um, lots of, you know, gosh, we're looking at dozens of virtual events over this two week period, starting next Tuesday um, where fans can tune into all sorts of platforms, whether that's YouTube or Mariners.com or on social channels. Um, so we're activating on, on all cylinders. If we know that, you know, this is the way we're, we're reaching fans in this 
crazy world right now. So between now and Tuesday the 19th, for fans to uh, find out more about this when more is made available, will this be uh, the Mariners email distribution list? Will this be on Mariners.com, uh, on the social media channels? How should people, what, where should people be looking to get more details when they are released, that is? All, all of the above. Uh, yeah, we'll definitely be announcing on, uh, on social. There'll be a press release that's sent out, and then fans can kind of see the whole lineup of the two weeks online at mariners.com slash baseball bash very nice very nice all right well uh hey mandy it's a uh, great to have you on the program happy new year to you and uh we haven't seen one another gary and i haven't seen you for about a year so we uh look forward to the next time that we run into you over at t-mobile park so thank you so much for hopping on with us always happy to do so she is Mandy Lincoln. She is the Mariners Director of Marketing. Great work being done inside the ballpark or from home. Subscribe to the Mariners YouTube channel for unique content, highlights, live streams, and much more. It's the best way to get your daily dose of Mariners baseball, whether it's a game day or not. Visit youtube.com slash Mariners to join the fun. When we come back, we wrap up the show. Hot Stove Report continues on the Alaska Airlines Mariners Radio Network. Well, we are winding things down here on the Hot Stove Report. Glad you're with us, Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill. With you each and every Tuesday night for the foreseeable future till spring training starts up. Talking all things Mariners and Gary. Man, great show tonight. Anytime we can talk things over with Marco Gonzalez, it is a good time. Marco, kind enough to join us for not one but two segments. And among the many insights that Marco uh, gave us tonight, he told us all about his favorite part of preparing for a start. There's a period where I leave the music at my locker, leave my phone at my locker, text my wife, tell her I love her. And I go out in the field and those moments before I start throwing are just full of gratitude and I feel grounded. I feel like it's where I'm supposed to be. I can, I can leave my phone for a minute and it's just pure. It's very pure. There's no politics. There's no noise going on. Um, and it's just, it's very, it's almost blissful really. Um, and then once I start throwing a baseball, then it's, 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 fiery and it's intense and there's emotion but but that that window where the prep is done and I can step away and then walk out on the field those are those are my favorite times you know Gary you mentioned this earlier I, I'm, I'm not sure we've heard a, a starting pitcher go quite as in-depth as that and, and Marco talked even longer at the time about his favorite part of preparing for a start because you know that <laughs> this is a multi-layered process for Marco or any starting pitcher. I love hearing about the process too. And I love thinking about the contrast of on the field Marco versus off the field Marco. <laughs> the Marco we get in these conversations is not the on the field Marco that opponents get, which I think is really, really great. He is, uh, he is a different guy. He's a different guy. And as we'll hear from Emmanuel Cifuentes in a short while, uh, there's somebody else uh, that was mentioned this evening that was uh, in, in similar vein. But uh, Marco's preparation is second to none. And we look for big things once again, even which is hard to think even better things for Marco in 2021. But I, I think we all know we, we don't quite know the ceiling yet for yeah, Marco I, Gonzalez. I've stopped thinking about the ceiling, about where it is for Marco, because I, I feel like he's earned that. I mean, he's continued to push the ceiling up and up and up. And really, when you look at last season, I think the Cy Young Award last year in the American League was obvious. After that, there was a, a number of pitchers that had really good seasons, and Marco was in that group. 
I mean, he was one of the best pitchers in the American League last year, and he's one of the best pitchers in the American League going into this season. And I don't think that's an overstatement when you look at uh, starting pitching in the American League. No, there's no doubt. You're absolutely right. Hey, Kyle Glazer of Baseball America, their national writer, was kind enough to join us tonight on the Hot Stove Report, talking to us, among many things, among other things, with the top end of the Mariners farm system. This is one of the strongest top of the systems in Major League Baseball. The Tampa Bay Rays are in that conversation. The San Diego Padres, even after all their trades, are in the conversation. But there's no question the Mariners have some elite, elite talent at the top of their system matched by few others in Major League Baseball today. You know, Gary, when you hear him speak as definitively as he does about the Mariners system, the depth, the top end of it, and how it is the best currently within the division, man, this is this is real, Gary. There are a lot of statements made on the show today that I think <laughs> enjoy, but I don't think none bigger than that one. <laughs> that is a big statement that was made about the Mariners in the system. That should make all Mariners fans smile, and it should make Mariner fans uh, just when they when we think about the future and what is coming on the horizon. It should make Mariner fans very very happy. Isn't it funny how Taylor Trammell, who is a great young player who more than likely has a very promising big league career ahead of him. Taylor Trammell, that type of a player, just a handful of years ago, you know, pre-Kyle Lewis being drafted. I mean, he's the Mariners' top prospect. Yeah. And now we can go an entire show without mentioning his name. Yeah. Per Baseball America, he checks in at just outside the top five at, at six. Yeah. That's right. And this is a guy who's been to the Futures game twice. I mean, he's who's been in two big time trades, uh, and he's outside the top five. I know. So we, this speaks far more to the depth and high end talent of the system than it does to the skill set of Taylor Trammell. That's right. That's a good point. That that is a great point because if you put Trammell in another system right now, he could be number one in another system or a top three in another system. So there's no doubt. Yeah, it, it does speak to the, the top talent the Mariners have right now. We were joined by Emmanuel Sofuentes on the show tonight, uh, recently named the Mariners' new assistant director of player development, working alongside farm director Andy McKay. And it, when you talk to somebody who works with the Mariners' farm system, you got to talk about guys like Julio Rodriguez and Jared Kelnick. And we asked him his uh, earliest impressions working alongside Kelnick in particular. What makes Jared really unique and fascinating is he kind of has a split personality. And this is something that we talk, Andy and I talk a lot about with, with great players is that when you see him putting in the work, when you see him pregame, when you see him in the cage, when you see him doing his drills, he works as if he has so much to prove. He works as if he is not one of the better prospects in the game. Um, he works as if he hasn't accomplished anything. And then when you see him play, when you see him in the box, when you see him in between the lines, he knows that he is one of the best players on the field, if not the best player on the field. And I think that's really unique. It's really tough to balance, but Jared does a really nice job of that. Aside from that, he's obviously incredibly talented. Uh, I think that's something that we all know. We've, we've seen it for years now. We saw it at the all site. We saw it in spring training in both versions of spring training. So we couldn't be, obviously couldn't be any more excited about, about Jared. Gary, this to me was one of my favorite sound bites of the show because 
it, it's so obvious when I hear Emmanuel describe it from everything we've been told about Jared, and we, we've interacted with him just briefly, but we haven't, uh, of course, seen him play live and in person outside of in Peoria. But this is who he is. He has the mentality that he is the greatest player who has maybe ever played, uh, but he also has the split mentality that he has to work harder than everybody else, which to find that package is one in a million. We've talked to a lot of people about Jared Kelnick, and I think that might be the best description we've had of him so far, what Emmanuel gave us. That, that is a really great description. And I mean, don't you want that out of one of your leaders? Like theoretically when he, you know, is in his prime and the best or one of the best players on the team, also one of the hardest workers. I mean, that is a phenomenal combination that you want in a player. And I feel like the Mariners have a clubhouse with that type of makeup. When you yeah. look at Marco Seager, Mariners are getting Mitch Hanniger back this year. Uh, guys like Tom Murphy, these guys who are just, just gym rats, junkyard dogs in terms of how hard they work and their ethic. And yet when they step on the field, they know, they believe that they are among the very, very best. It's part of the conversation from the outside that I always think is a hard conversation to have. Like what is clubhouse chemistry mean? What, you know, those kind of nebulous conversations that are hard to pin down, but that that's part of it, right? Is, is, holding each other accountable for the work that we don't see. Hey, be sure to visit any of the convenient one-stop shops for Mariners gear located at Westfield South Center, Alderwood Mall, downtown Seattle at 4th and Stewart, or of course at gorgeous T-Mobile Park. For hours, just check out mariners.com slash team store. This has been a blast tonight on the Hot Stove Report. We're with you each and every Tuesday night on 710 ESPN from 7 to 9 p.m. And don't forget, every Wednesday morning, the day following the Hot Stove Report, uh, the entire show is put up on Mariner's Pod by Gary. So if you missed part of today's tonight's episode or you want to hear some of it again, just check out uh, the Mariner's Podcast, Mariner's Pod, tomorrow wherever you find your podcast. So for Gary Hill, for all of our fantastic guests, I'm Aaron Goldsmith. Glad you can join us. We'll talk to you next Tuesday at 7 o'clock.